Hi, I'm Cam, and this is the Nerdbook Review. Today, we are going to be bringing you an author interview with Alec Hudson, author of The Crimson Queen, another one of the Spiffbo 2017 finalists. First things first, I do want to apologize. When we recorded this interview, I had quite the cold. Uh, we actually had to postpone the interview a couple times because of how sick I was. And so if I sound like I am low energy or uh, just not quite uh, as peppy as usual, um, it is not because I did not enjoy speaking to Alec. It was I just did not feel well at the time. Once again, I will not be including a review of the novel beforehand. As I've said, I just don't enjoy doing that as much. And I felt like it was adding a little bit too much time to the reviews. I really enjoyed the novel. I gave it a 5 out of 5, and I had a great time listening to it. I'm going to give you the usual spiel, and then we will get right to it. You can reach us on nerdbookreview at gmail.com. You can reach us on Twitter with the handle The Nerdbook Review. On Facebook with our Facebook page, The Nerdbook Review. You can also read reviews on Goodreads. And one of these days, uh, we will have the new website up for you. Now, it's probably going to be a little bit later than I initially planned. Uh, at some point here, not too long, I will explain why. I hope you guys all enjoy listening to Alec and I speak. And have a great day. The Nerdbook Review is happy to welcome Alec Hudson, author of The Crimson Queen and a finalist in Spiffbo 2017. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Cam. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Alec, and uh, your background? Uh, sure. I was born in, uh, spent my childhood in northeastern Massachusetts, a little town called Newburyport, which is sort of one of those quaint seaside villages featured in H.P. Lovecraft stories. Um, then I went to school in Minnesota at a school called Carleton, and uh, after that, I, uh, I'd sort of been on the law track for high school and college, and then I hit senior year and realized I didn't want to be a lawyer um, and started uh, thinking more seriously about you know, doing more writing and applied and got into an MFA program. And uh, that summer, um, uh, I was dating a girl and she had gotten a job in China. And so she was like, yeah, defer for a year, come out. It'll be fun, you know, grist for the writing mill and whatnot. And so I followed her. And uh, that was like 13 years ago. So I've been in Shanghai, China ever since. Oh, man. Yeah, you, uh, I guess you've just settled down there, huh? Yeah, the, the roots are dug pretty deep right now. Um, I would like to get back to the States. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's the thing about being comfortably in a rut is you, it's, it's always, it's tough to hoist yourself out sometimes. But I, I still like living here and everything. So um, there's nothing, uh, it's, it's only been a, a positive experience for me. Well, that's good. How often are you able to make it back to the States? I try to come back once a year, um, usually in the summertime, because Massachusetts is really nice in the summer. Uh, I made the mistake of coming back in the wintertime for a few years, and then I realized that was idiotic. So uh, <laughs> now it's only uh, summertime. Uh, this year is a little bit earlier. I decided to come back in in May because um, I thought it would be fun to go to the Nebula Awards. Why not now that I'm a, 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 a writer? <laughs> well, that's cool then. And uh, and you've been teaching English, correct? Yep, I've been working at um, actually uh, two international schools here sh here in Shanghai um, as an ESL teacher and sometimes PE teacher and homeroom teacher when called upon. 
Um, and uh, it wasn't teaching wasn't what I thought I wanted to do in college, but um, I've actually found that I really, really enjoy it. Um, and uh, I've recently stopped teaching to focus on my writing. Um, and we'll see if I, in the future, I'm uh, missing it enough to come back to it. But uh, yeah, it's something I, I really enjoy doing. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I taught for uh, one year and decided that was enough for me. But um, <laughs> uh, what kind of uh, like things are you able to do in Shanghai that maybe you wouldn't be able to do in the States? Or uh, what are some, some of the, the limitations, I guess, of living in Shanghai? Well, there's certainly a lot of limitations when it comes to things like the internet, which I found somewhat challenging um, as a writer because so much of what writers do now outside of the actual writing relies on the internet. Um, uh, so if you don't have a good VPN, it's hard to go on Facebook or Gmail or um, or, or even, you know, I had some, we had some issues with Skype getting it, getting it started. And I think that's probably related to the internet issues. Um, so I, I've, that's been a challenge. Um, on the other hand, uh, Shanghai itself is a really interesting city, I think. Um, when I got here uh, 15, 13 years ago, um, it was China was uh, really opening up and, uh, and allowing people in for the first time. And Shanghai was kind of a crossroads. And so um, I had, had a uh, – my background was, you know, the, the New England town and – small Minnesota town. And here uh, I was being exposed to foods and people from all over the world. It was really, a, 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 it's been good, I think, to grow um, as a person in terms of my knowledge of, of the rest of the world outside of uh, America. Yeah, I'm sure. And uh, so have you done all of your writing then in China? Uh, you know what? I found that when I take little vacations places, um, oftentimes I do my best writing there. Um, the first scene in uh, The Crimson Queen was actually written after I toured the temples of Angkor Wat in Cambodia, and I was feeling really inspired. Um, and uh, that, and I went back to my hotel and, and actually brought my laptop out to the pool area and just wrote that first scene uh, pretty much. And it's, I didn't even think it's been edited really. That's really. Uh, but but anyway, the, the point being that um, traveling around to different places um, it, it has definitely been a big inspiration for me as a writer. And being in some place in Asia where there's so many great places and with fascinating histories uh, to explore um, has definitely been a, a plus for my writing, I think. Yeah, and uh, here in a few minutes we'll get talking more about the book itself, but I definitely can see the uh, feel the flavor of... of uh, quite a few different cultures actually in within your book that's one thing i think that is a a definite strength of the novel is how many different uh how, how defined each of the cultures is oh okay thank you yeah i i, I do like to I, I wouldn't say that um any of the cultures are startling or original but i like to put a few flourishes on them that at least make them perhaps memorable in the context of the of the story yeah yeah um so i guess you, you said that uh, you kind of thought maybe you'd be a lawyer uh, when you started off school and then uh, went through the, the MFA program. How did you uh, make that transition and did you do any writing when you were uh, younger or was that something that uh, you got into more in college? Well, actually, I never actually went to the MFA program. Oh, okay. I got Sorry, you, you did that before. You, you went to China when you were going to take yeah 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 so so i I deferred my mfa program so i don't know if they'll allow me to come back after 13 (laughs) years but uh, that's um i guess that's the option if i want to go back to the states um uh 
So I guess what was your uh, uh, the catalyst to start writing? Then, were, were, did you write as a kid, or was that just something that you started later in life? Um, well, you know, my my aunt owns a really fantastic uh, independent bookstore in my hometown called the Jabberwocky, um, and I think I spent a lot of time there. I worked there in high school and uh, through summers in college, and uh, I think you know being around that sort of environment, just if almost any kid who loves to read um, would, would want to also write. And I sort of shoved that to the back, thinking it was not very realistic a life choice um, for many years, uh, but then got back into it maybe about four years ago and uh, started writing seriously. Um, and uh, yeah, that takes us to me today, I guess. Yeah. And uh, so... I guess let's get into the Crimson Queen. Then um, is that your first novel? I mean, that that you wrote, or uh, is it just the first one that you decided was good enough to be put in a finished form? It's the first one I ever wrote. Actually, um, I have uh, maybe bits and pieces of kind of like aborted attempts at writing a book from you know various points in my life, but never more than you know twenty, thirty thousand words. It usually fizzled out, and um, I lost the thread and uh, and shelved it. Uh, and, and shelved the dream for a while. Um, but The Crimson Queen was the first one that I actually typed the end on, which um, is a, it's quite a, a remarkable feeling, I think, to, to do that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's something that I've, I've started things uh, quite often, but never uh, got too far. And then it's kind of one of those things where just life happens and, and you know, uh, things just happen. But um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, the Crimson Queen? Uh, give us maybe a brief synopsis. Uh, you know, I self-published, so I wouldn't have to do synopsis. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'll, <laughs> I'll do my best. Uh, it it, um, it the story takes place a thousand years after um, several sorceress uh, kingdoms or empires destroyed themselves in a cataclysm. Um, and so at the, at the present time uh, in the story, uh, magic is sort of reviled in the world and, uh, there's an order of sort of magic hunting paladins that go around making sure that, uh, there, there's no, uh, overt sorcery being done. Um, and, uh, it, but at this time, um, there's a, uh, a kingdom in the West there that the queen, um, is a sorceress and she's trying to sort of resuscitate magic in the world. Um, and so you have these two main factions that are in opposition to each other. And um, in the book, the main character, uh, Kalen, is uh, he's born with a great magical gift. So he becomes sort of a tug of war between these two factions. And then there's a third faction of sort of these uh, cabal of immortal sorcerers who were actually responsible for the cataclysm a long time ago. And uh, they are also trying to um, utilize him for their own ends. So that uh, that's sort of the... I guess a synopsis of what happens in it. Yeah, I mean that does that gives you um, you have Kalen, um, and he's he's kind of like uh, occupies the role of uh, uh, the uh, the the farm boy. Uh, you think he's going to be the farm boy chosen one, and I don't know if this is a uh, is it. Would you consider that a spoiler if I said that he he isn't really? Maybe I should uh, restart that question. Um. Yeah. Well, he's the. F- Farm boy chosen one in that he has a great talent or a great gift, um, but he, it's not like he's prophesized to save everything. Um, yeah, and, 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 and I, he's not the person, I guess, that will end up being the 
um, that would be the the savior person. He just happens to be to to have a, a great gift. Yeah, yeah. And um, and although I guess technically um, he would be in opposition to the farm boys if we're uh, really getting into <laughs> to things with the book, since he's the fisherman and they they don't right, get along exactly. all that well. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I like how um, at the beginning you when you have him opening up to his powers, he, it's something that, uh, that he kind of comes naturally to, but he's, um, but he's not, he doesn't know anything about it yet. Yeah. Well, um, that's one thing I like about my fantasy, um, not, not my fantasy books, but the books of fantasy that I like is I, I like magic to be sort of wild and uncontrollable and mysterious, um, I know there's a there's a big trend in fantasy now of having very regimented magic systems, um, you know, where they're almost scientific in their approach to magic. And uh, while I can appreciate those books, that isn't really magic for me. Um, it has to have something more kind of, uh, I don't know, just mysterious about it. Um, so that's what I was going for with, with some of the um, eruptions of his sorceress ability uh, when I was writing. Yeah, that is actually something that is... Um there is a big divide, I think, between people who who choose the the very scientific uh, method with it versus the like the more traditional epic fantasy style. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely seeing that. Um, and I come down on the side that magic should be something kind of wild and strange. Yeah, and it's, you know what's really funny is is I don't think I ever put a lot of conscious thought into it even though I've read novels on both sides until I started interviewing authors. And it really is funny how, um, um, I don't see, you don't see too many people that are like, well, I'm going to have a pseudo scientific, but it's not really based (laughs) in it. Or, you know, you either have the, the magic is, is something, you know, like truly magical, like you said, or there's a scientific back into it. No, uh, not a lot of middle ground in that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Although, um, if I was to get more into my magic system, there is there's some uh, structure to it. I, I would guess I would I would say, but it hasn't actually been revealed too much in in the Crimson Queen. Um, I'll get more into it later uh, in later books, uh, but um, it's not quite as uh, strange and odd as as it may actually appear in the book. Um, so okay. There are, yeah. So, uh, Keelan, am I saying that right? Is it Kaylin or I keep saying Keelan, but it's Kaylin, right? <laughs> I say Kalen, but again, oh. it's however the readers want to uh, interpret the names themselves. As I uh, always tell authors, that as long as I'm talking to you, I'm going to, to use your characters' names the way that you do. So, uh, so Kalen, he is going to go on what would be considered like that traditional um, journey phase of epic fantasy. But I think you mm-hmm. do a really good job of keeping the action flowing while they're on their journey was that mm-hmm. something that you had to make put conscious thought into or um to to still have that journey but make sure that it wasn't uh, lord of the rings-esque yeah no it was a very conscious decision actually i um that that's been mentioned a lot in reviews of 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 queen um and i think it came about because of kind of two dis- conscious decisions that i made um one of them was uh that uh I took a bit of writing uh, advice to heart when I started writing again more seriously, and that was um, only write scenes that you're interested in. Um, 
And a lot of those scenes where they're just kind of wandering through the Vermilion Hills discussing the, you know, the, the lineage of the king's dragon or something, um, it, it's a little, it's, it's dry. Uh, so I wanted to keep things, uh, if, if something wasn't interesting me uh, as, a, as, a, as the writer, I tried to speed things up and make it more interesting. Um, so there was that conscious decision. And also, I was considering querying this book initially. Um, and the uh, the in the querying trenches, they are, are pretty adamant that you know there's going to be no debuts. Don't don't approach an agent with it with a, a book that's over 120,000 words, which for epic fantasy is an absolutely ridiculous requirement. Like it just it just blows my mind that this is actually seen as 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 necessary because how many epic fantasies do you honestly have you honestly read that are less than 120,000 words? Um, but they're but they're pretty serious about this, and so I was trying to winnow down and streamline the book as much as possible in case I decided to go the querying route. Um, and now I'm getting dinged uh, that my book is too short because <laughs> it's only 135,000 words. Um, so I'd say those are the two reasons why the book tends to move pretty fast and doesn't dally um, as the adventures unfolding. Um, yeah, those, those are kind of the reasons. Yeah, in fact, I think that I've actually read. I personally, I I thought that your novel. Um, just moved right along and and definitely stayed entertaining. I don't think that it was too that it was too fast paced, but I have read one or two reviews that did say that they felt like there was just nonstop action and they didn't have the time to settle down. And I guess that's the reason why, because you were trying to keep keep it in that page number. Yeah, that was that was definitely a goal in the in the in the back of my head. I had you know the story points plotted out. I knew I had to do this and this and this and this and this, and doing that all within. Um, a word count that agents say that they'll look at is actually I actually found kind of challenging yeah and is that kind of the reason why you decided to go the self-publishing route in the end then did you actually query it or or did you just consider doing that um I when I finished the book originally which I think was maybe 2016 sometime in like March and April I sent out an initial batch of queries, um, just like 10 or 15, just to gauge interest. I actually wasn't decided on, on traditional or self at that point, um, but I just wanted to see what the what the process was like because I'd never queried anything before. And it is an absolutely miserable process, um, and I didn't like it at all and um, actually found it kind of degrading as a writer. <laughs> so um, over the summer, I really evaluated and started reading up more on self-publishing and um, decided that I would really much prefer uh, to do, to go that route. And, and I re- I'm really glad I did, actually. Um, it's been a, a really great experience so far. Well, that's awesome. And, I mean, clearly you're um, having some success uh, making it to a finalist at Spiffbo. So um, I guess I, I want to talk more about the Crimson Queen before we get uh, too far ahead and actually get into the, the Spiffbo and stuff like that. Um, but so you mentioned that uh, you have the the followers and is it the god Amon or Amon? Uh, Ama A M A. Oh A M A. I don't know why I I don't know if my uh, spell check changed it for me or what. But it's, um, so the god Amon I believe was a god in ancient Egypt. Yes, sort of a replacement for Ra. So that's probably where it comes from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's probably what happened there. Ama or Ama, he's you or I guess your gods in here, or at least the followers, they they take a, a more of an active role then. So we're not dealing with uh, um, you know the followers of a god who 
um, there isn't any uh, kind of proof that they exist then? Uh, yes, in that um, the, the followers of the god, these paladins, the, the pure as they're called in the book, they have some powerful abilities, uh, the ability to inhibit sorcery. So it seems like they derive their abilities from uh, the god Ama. So yeah, it does seem like Ama is active in the world. Yeah. yeah. And, and I apologize for uh, <laughs> making that the, the most awkward way I could have phrased the question possible. But um, with these, these paladins and their uh, suppression of magic, um, I, I think that you, you have magic basically being you know, considered evil because of this. But it wasn't like, I guess my question is, is, was magic actually wrecking the world? Or was it just that these sorcerers were tyrants because of their power initially? Um, so there was, uh, the events of a thousand years ago, it actually was like a physical cataclysm that destroyed, um, the North and the South, the, the, the two magical empires, they were in opposition to each other and something triggered a war between them that resulted in a lot of innocent people dying. And so these paladins, um, they want to, uh, suppress magic so that it never reaches the point again where such mass devastation could occur. So, um... You know, I think actually it's sort of the ends justify the means for them. Like they are doing cruel things to those with the potential with, of sorcery, but they're doing it for reasons that they can justify to themselves. Okay. So as you mentioned uh, in your synopsis, you basically now we're going to be dealing with uh, kind of like an East versus West um, breakdown. I kind of saw um, the the Empire as, as kind of, a, in my mind, like a, a Byzantine type of a... Um, set up, and then I felt like the uh, the the land um, ruled by the Crimson Queen. I kind of got more of a Celtic feel in my mind. I don't know if that's just something that I uh, that because of where my background is that I saw those, or uh, where were your inspirations for these places? I, you're right on there. Um, I, I saw Menakar, which is the the land of the the, the sorcery hating paladins, that as being more of like a a Roman Byzantine. Um, civilization and it's in its architecture i think it's um it's maybe lazy writing but i think a lot of writers do it It, it's easy to um uh, associate um you know uh, the the places in your in your in your fantasy books with um uh real historical places i mean certainly george r R. martin does it Uh, i think a lot of writers do it but yes you're completely right menachar is more byzantine um the crimson queen was more uh uh, Celtic, um, the gilded cities are more sort of the Italian or city states or Hanseatic League sort of places. Uh, Shan is very obviously drawn from um, kind of uh, Tang Dynasty China. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's you're completely right. Yeah, I've used a lot of real world um, kind of proxies for my uh, fantasy lands. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing that I always talk about. You, you, you know, you said that maybe it's lazy, but but the way I look at it is that it takes an extra hundred pages to completely create something that has, um, you know, no real basis that that uh, that the average reader can look to, and it doesn't bother me one bit to be able to free up a little bit of that brain space, I guess, to, yeah, to yeah. get into the actual story itself. And yeah, yeah. so yeah, I'm certainly not the kind of person that um, that has an issue with that. 
Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, I know. I think you're completely right. That's sort of scaffolding. You know, you're able to make aspects of the various places unique to your story, but it's really nice having that scaffolding. You can kind of hang on it. Um, just like, you know, the, in the game of Thrones, you know, like a Dothraki, you know, there's kind of like these steppe nomad, uh, like Mongols or, or whatnot. Um, we, we we now seem to we, we associate so much with the with the we understand the Dothraki better because we have that historical uh, parallel to draw upon. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, and even your map, um, it's one of those things that uh, we talk about on this podcast quite a bit. That uh, I, I like the way that uh, like the journey kind of goes and the way that uh, your empires are set up. Even are even you know vaguely. Uh, set up kind of like how Europe and, and into kind of the Middle East would be, while not being mm-hmm. identical, obviously. But but it's easy mentally to uh, to think of it that way. I think for me, yeah, so, yeah, certainly. I, oh. My map, I think, has a lot of inspiration from the Mediterranean world. I really, I was almost a classics major actor. I really like uh, ancient history and classics, and um, and I think my map and my the, the cultures I draw upon are you know are influenced by that definitely. Yep. And then um, this uh, one thing I do have to just uh, mention, and uh, this is um, just a personal question. Did you were you a Wheel of Time fan or have you read Robert Jordan? Yeah, um, I would say that was one of the big influences of me uh, for me when I was uh, growing up um, in probably, you know, before I'd read uh, The Wheel of Time, which I probably picked up when I was like 14 maybe or 13, I had read, you know, a lot of Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance and things like that. And uh, and Wheel of Time really made a huge influence on me. Um, it just had a depth of world building and um, uh, writing that I hadn't seen that much in fantasy before. But yeah, huge influence on me. Okay, yeah. And I, the reason that I, I mentioned that is, is there, that while not trying to say in any way that I felt you know, that you were being derivative, I, I really did catch a, a flavor of that in this. Um, but in that, the way that, uh, whereas uh, he would have taken 1,200 pages to do what you did as far as action goes, <laughs> that you got done in, you know, in 500. But um I really thought that um, Aliana, for your character, reminded me a lot of Lanfear in um, his novels, only done in the way that I wished that Lanfear had been done, that uh, she's the spider, but but in in Robert Jordan, uh, she never actually really does anything, or, you know, in the way that you'd hope that she could have. Yeah. Um, and how did you decide to go with Aliana being in the shadows, but, you know, being that willing to occasionally, you know, strike out and do what she needs to do? Um, well, I think your connection with her as um, t- uh, to Lanfear is actually really good and really interesting. I I haven't read the Wheel of Time series probably since high school, and I've forgotten a lot of details. But now that you bring up her name, um, uh, I remember that she w- I found her the most compelling maybe of all the characters. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised, you know, down there in that primordial writing stew that there's a lot of land fear in Aliana. Um, but uh, as your, your second question, it was um, about uh, how I, I, uh, I wrote her. Well, I, I really wanted her to be um, a dangerous character. Um, and she I don't want to give away too many spoilers, yep. um, but but she's, you know, I would say the prime mover in a lot of the book. Um and I, uh, yeah, if I was to choose my favorite characters for from the Crimson Queen, it would be her and actually the Paladin Senecas, um, who's one of the pure. They're my two favorite characters. So, um, yeah, 
the character, her, her character really resonated with me and I wanted to do it justice. Um, so I definitely wanted to make her a strong character. Yeah, well, and, and speaking of, of both her and Senecas, I like that neither one of them is good or evil necessarily. Like there's a lot of shades of gray in your novel. I think uh, one of my other reviewers who um, read the book as well um, he said that like that what his favorite uh, um, that he did see some of the uh, a little bit of the flavor of Wheel of Time after I was talking, but his big thing was is that he's like, but the big th- difference here with yours is, is that there is no Dark Lord, and you're not dealing with absolutes, and um, there's a lot of gray area within your characters. Yeah, um, yeah, that's another that's something that I very consciously tried to do. Um, I uh, appreciated sort of like that. Um, Manichean dynamic when I was younger, but now I just feel like uh, that, 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 that there really isn't evil in the world. Um, and everyone just has their own perspectives. Um, some are, people are selfish. Some people, um, you know, have, have less pure motives for things, but no one is truly evil. They just, uh, everyone thinks they're, I don't know, I think it's game of uh, martin said it best like everyone's the hero of their own story and for aliana she's the hero of her story and she can justify what she's done to herself um but she's not evil well i mean she is evil but, <laughs> but not, not from her perspective yeah well and i mean it's not like she's uh d- doing evil things just for evil's sake i guess is the best way to put that yeah no no definitely she's she's selfish i mean and i think that's what in in the real world that's that's really what evil is it's people who have uh or selfish and have a lack of empathy in their actions is is interpreted as 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 evil um but but i don't believe that you know there's anyone out there twirling their mustaches actually trying to um you know cause suffering it just is a byproduct (laughs) of being selfish (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's basically the the, just uh, a, a really good way to put most of uh the the ills of the world really when you put it come down to it yeah, yeah. Um, so I have to say, uh, my favorite character, uh, like secondary character, is Shin, and I think that uh, the reason that that he is such a uh, a favorite character of mine is I felt like he was a good example of how you use your uh, secondary characters to move the plot forward without feeling like we were just getting info dumps as we uh, learn about the world. Uh. Yeah, no, I um that's another conscious attempt I made in writing um uh, the book was yeah, exactly like like we said before there's there's no long journeys where people are just recounting, you know, the linear the the genealogy of the king or something like that. I, I did try and and weave um bits and pieces of, of of the history of the world and stuff into kind of organically into the narrative and into other characters so that um you, and later on, when you finish the book, maybe you can look back and you have a, a, a somewhat complete sense of, of the world and its history, but it's never just been dumped on you. It's it's hopefully come through in a in a, in a subtle and enjoyable way. Yeah, and um, just uh, like kind of, I guess, without getting too, uh, you know, hovering too much about the novel itself, uh, the one last thing I'd really like to, to talk about um, specifically with the novel is that um, our title uh, character, I guess, doesn't even uh, come into play until, what, two-thirds of the way through the book, the novel? And then we don't actually see a point-of-view uh, chapter for her in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, are we going to see a cha- point-of-view chapter for her going forward, or is she always going to be that uh, that big uh, influence that we don't actually see specifically? 
you know, when I when I had the book read um, uh, before I published it, some 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 beta readers actually did want to see a point of view chapter from her. But for me, uh, I feel um, the mystery of, of who she is and what her true motivations are is um, one of the more compelling bits of the book. For at least I think so. Uh, so I did want her to remain kind of mysterious. Um, and uh, I feel like giving her a point of view chapter would likely, by getting inside her head, the reader might uh, be not disappointed, but some of that mystery would be lifted. Um, I, I guess I can compare it to, um, I love George R. R. Martin. Um, I think he's the, the pinnacle of epic fantasy. But one chapter that I really didn't like, um, and I can't remember if it was in the last book or if it was in like um, a, a sneak peek of Winds of Winter or something, was uh, the chapter from Melisandre's perspective, the Red Priestess. And for me, she was really compelling character. Like I just found her really fascinating. I wanted to know more about Ashai and about her and about her motivations and what she really thought and what her real end goal was. And when we got inside her head, I was just kind of like, oh, you know, she's it's not as interesting as I was hoping. So... Um, I didn't like that chapter. Um, and so that's what I think I would probably try to avoid giving a point of view chapter from her, from, from, from saying to Cara, uh, the Crimson Queen's perspective for those very, for that very reason. Maybe it'll come in the future, especially in the second or third, well, second book sort of set, but the third book, um, possibly. But at that point, I think the narrative would have to be pretty much close to being wrapped up for me to, to really get inside her head. Fair enough. She is a compelling character, which is, I think, the reason why I wanted that, uh, you know, that point of view chapter. But I understand why you're not doing that. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned that you uh, uh, stopped teaching and have been writing full time. And it sounds like that is going uh, extremely well. And um, you have quite a bit of uh, book two done now, correct? Yeah. um, So... The Crimson Queen came out a little over a year ago, like last December, um, and um, I worked on the sequel this year quite a bit. Um, I think I probably did about 100,000 words, but while I was teaching full-time, I, I, I like teaching, but I find it a very, very draining at times, and it's hard to fire up the laptop when you get home after dealing with you know 10-year-olds all day. Oh, yeah, I can understand uh, that. And so uh, I wasn't getting the sort of flow I wanted. Um and uh, and so that's when I decided to I was going to leave my job, um, and so it's been about two weeks now full time writing, and it's been going really well. Like I really think I'm getting into the narrative better, getting into the flow of the story. Really excited about some of the things I've been thinking about. Um, I've actually gone back, and I'm rewriting um, one of. There's three main point of view plot threads, um, and I'm rewriting one of them completely. Uh, because I had a sort of a brainstorm revelation about how I could make it more compelling. Um, so I've actually taken that 100,000 words I've done and um, and chopped it up, and I'm rewriting it from the beginning. But I'm making good progress, so I'm really hoping I'll have the sequel out in May or June is what I'm, what I'm, what I'm hoping for right now. Yeah, yeah that would be, uh, um, I think, a good thing to be able to get that out uh, just for, for a lot of reasons, but um, especially with, with Spiffbo, um, what has your experience been with that? Uh, it's been very positive. Um, it's uh, exposed me to a real f- online fantasy um, subculture that I 
uh, didn't even know existed. Um, I'm kind of an introvert and I love the genre and I love fantasy, but I pretty much just, I didn't, I wasn't involved in, um, you know, going on Reddit to talk about books or, um, uh, being in Facebook groups. Um, and, uh, through the Spiffbo, um, experience i've met a lot of really cool people and i've started uh, and i and i realized that there was this really vibrant community online that it's fun to uh, interact with so uh that's been a really positive takeaway from it yeah well and it can only help uh with book sales as well yes. of getting you know involved in in community i think yeah yeah hopefully um it's uh i'm sure that a lot of, i've had a lot of sales because of my uh time in in spiffbo which is obviously great <laughs> Yeah, and um, who? What's your blog again? Uh, it was um here, uh, fantasy oh, okay. book review. I think uh, they all some of them have, uh, have similar names. Um, yeah, but he did a really wonderful job with the book. Um, actually, there's another book in in my set which was uh, I, I only read one other book uh, that Mahir rec- recommended from from my group. Um, it was called the the Woven Ring, um, but it was terrific. Um, and actually, uh, I was really surprised that I moved on because I, I thought that it's, um, I've read a bunch of the books now in, 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 in Spiffbo that, and this is, it's still my favorite, uh, yeah, that I've um, read. Yeah. And he, he was actually, uh, uh, Matt was my, the first interview I did and I still actually, oh. I still talk to Matt quite a bit, um, actually. And I think, uh, that, um, the two of you, I know that he said that it was, it was very close, but I think that. Um, the two of you both have uh, very like crisp and polished novels, and they're just so different. It really was, I think, down to uh, uh, just you know a preference of um, prob- yeah. maybe even who he thought would um, do better in the competition between the two of you. Uh, yeah, th- th- that's that's certainly possible. Um, it's it's a really compelling book, and I, I highly recommend anyone um, who's uh, looking for a really good character-driven uh, alternate history grim darkish but it's more than that sort of it's a book to check out the woven ring Very good. and uh and the second one that just came out uh recently as well and um i thought that yes uh, have it on my kindle it's it's on the uh it's, it's in the queue i i'm excited to get to that yeah well I, and i was excited that uh um it was uh that i felt like it was as good as the first one which is something that uh you know um as probably got to be a little bit of a scary experience um getting book two <laughs> out huh yeah, it's it's tough. I'm I, I'm also very hypercritical of myself, and so um, my my tear down and rebuild of the book uh, recently is probably due to the fact that I'm scared of releasing something that isn't as well received as the first one. <laughs> uh, well, I, I I think that um, you know if you can uh, um, you know keep that quality up. What I think that um, and and I mean I gave the, the novel a, a five out of five. If you, I don't know if you've um, read my uh, just just the Goodreads review of it, but I felt like you had a lot of uh, very good characters, and for me, I liked that fast pace. And I, like I said, in a lot of ways, this reminded me a little bit. I mean, obviously not being derivative, but, but uh, of the Wheel of Time, but done in a, a much more streamlined manner, while still having that compelling, uh, you know, those characters. Well, thank you. That's that's what I was going for. It's that's uh, kind of you to say. One last question I do want to ask you: um, Where are you uh, seeing this series go, and where do you think you're going in the future as a writer? 
Ah, uh, that's a good question. I have the the three book arc already mapped out, um, and I don't want to be one of those writers that's um, either lengthening it out because they want to put more books out um, in that world. Uh, like, well, I have a very uh, set arc already planned, so uh, I'm going to stick to that. Um, finish the series. Uh, and, uh, after that, I don't know, I think I'll probably just, I'll be mulling over some ideas of what I'd like to write next. As I said, this was my first book. I love epic fantasy. Um, but maybe I'll do something a little bit different. I don't know. I, I also, I love epic fantasy, but I love China Mieville and, uh, a host of other writers that are a little bit different. So it might be fun just to do something in uh, a different subgenre of fantasy, yeah. but I haven't decided yet <laughs> yeah well that's cool kirsten lincoln uh mm-hmm. her she um her novel tiger lily was set in uh, japan and she spent i think six years in japan so um have you thought about uh doing anything set in china since you actually have a little bit of a the background in china uh i don't think i have the sufficient background to do it justice in in the crimson queen world there's a culture like i said that's very strongly um, drawn from from kind of Tang Dynasty China, um, but it's also not real Tang Dynasty China. It's more of like a wuxia kind of like a, a crouching tiger, hidden dragon version of of ancient China. Um, and so, and actually, in the next two books in the series, in the next book of the series, one of the three main characters is actually a um, a Shan. Uh, noble woman who's uh, she's the daughter of the Shan demon hunter that makes an appearance in the first book but she's one of the three three main plot threads and some time is spent in in the empire of swords and flowers so um, I'll I'll do my best to represent uh, that that uh, Chinese culture there I think (laughs) all right well um before we, uh, I, I do need to make sure, um, where are some places that you can be reached, uh, that you prefer to be reached at? Uh, my website, which I don't update enough, has a contact form. If anyone liked my book or I wanted to ask questions about it, I love getting um, emails from my readers. Um, I, I'm not a very outgoing person naturally. I'm very introverted, so I'm not one to keep up with a blog or to have my own podcast or anything like that. But I do like engaging with people. So, um, you know, if if anyone did like Queen and would want to talk about it, I'd love to hear from them. But, oh, sorry. So my my website has a contact form. I think it's like authoralichudson.com. My Facebook profile, it's pretty obvious who I am. You're, you know, I get a friend request. I'm down with that um and, you're, and, and it's alec hudson author do you have an actual author page or yeah it's an actual author page it's okay. uh, I, think it's, I think it's author alec hudson.com okay yeah and you don't uh you said you do have twitter but you have not used it yeah i'm not a I'm not a big fan of twitter um at Fair least it, in in philosophy in in theory um i i it it feels like it lends itself to kind of insubstantial interactions because <laughs> uh, of its brevity, right? Yeah. Um, no, I understand where you're coming from, but I have to admit that I have fallen down the Twitter rabbit hole and <laughs> uh, quite enjoy it now. 
Oh, a lot of my friends also like it, so I, maybe I should make more of an effort there as well. But also, I feel like you can only be drawn in so many directions, you know? Like, it, uh, if I if I get drawn down the Twitter rabbit hole, right now, you know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on our fantasy and Reddit and, like, um, interacting on Facebook, and we have a really great Slack group with a bunch of other really great writers that I spend a lot of time on. If I add, keep accumulating these distractions, um, they might be, I, I, I'll turn into... George R. R. Martin and, you know, not have a book done in six years. <laughs> I guess there you are. That is a uh, very valid point. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. And sorry, we had the delay, but uh, we got her done. Yeah, no, thank you. It's It's been an honor um, to be on the NBR uh, podcast. And uh, thank you so much for inviting me. You bet. And... Uh, I hope uh, everyone out there uh, gives the Crimson Queen a chance. I absolutely enjoyed it. Thank you so very much. All right. Yeah, thank you, Cam. I hope your wife feels better as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel kind of terrible that I gave this to her, but I'm pretty sure our son gave it to, to us in the first place. Uh, those <laughs> children are disease vectors. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. Have a good, yeah, uh, I guess, you. have a good afternoon for you. Have a good, I'm going to go get lunch. Yeah. yeah. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Talk to you Take later. Take care. Yeah, thanks.